Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Jeff. And Raja Bell. It's the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. What is going on? Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell and Raja Bell. Our guy Raja is still out taking care of some family business uh, up in Long Island, so all the best to him. We got Brad Bodkin filling in for him, our CBS uh, sports writer right here for uh, covering all our NBA stuff. We're going to break down free agency. We have uh, John Anik, who's actually calling UFC 226. He's going to join us in a little bit, break that entire card down for us. And uh, we're going to break some World Cup. I'm going to fix World Cup uh, soccer for you because I think there's a better solution to determining games and place kicks. And I am so bummed about a story in golf, a cheating scandal, uh, that just, it's the sport of integrity and it really bothers me. I'm going to break that down later. But we got Brad in here to talk about some NBA free agency. Let's do it. So yesterday we had the, or, you know, two nights ago, I get the alert on my phone and it says DeMarcus Cousins signs. And I, I didn't really like look down and glance at it. I was like, oh, maybe the Lakers, maybe went somewhere else. And then it said Warriors. And I was, I did a double check. I'm right. like, wait a second. What is going on? I think this is one of the worst things that we've seen happen to NBA, even worse than when Durant went to the Warriors, because it is so bad that you know the outcome of the season sitting here on July 4th. Yeah. I think that, uh, if Boogie comes back and is anything close, to what he's been in the past. This is a guy who's one of eight players in NBA history to average 25, 10, and 5 in the same year. He did this last year. So only 48 games. I know he's coming off an Achilles injury, but this is could be the best big man in the league. That includes Joel Embiid. That includes Anthony Davis when he's at his peak. If he comes back, let's say, even 70%, you're going from JaVale McGee and Zaza Pachulia and Kevon Looney. Even at 70% of DeMarcus Cousins, this becomes unquestionably the most talented team in NBA history. And I'm with you. I, I Listen, I think it's lame. I think all these players joining up to win titles. To me, competition is the pursuit of winning and not just the actual end goal of winning. Uh, if I get a high school team together and go down and play the junior high squad and I get a win, it doesn't mean the same to me. That There is a lot of questions, though, about how he's going to be able to play and even when he's going to be able to play, probably not even until January at the earliest. They don't need him. They don't and, need and he, him. And that's, that's one of the things where I think this makes a lot of sense for Cousins because I'm sure he, he's in a spot where he's playing the long game, Like right? He's, yeah. he's, he's trying to position himself for the bigger contract the next year. Yeah. So there's absolutely no rush because he can start sprinkling in some minutes in December, start getting up to speed in January, after the All-Star break, he can start really getting into the flow. And this team, as we've seen the entire last couple years, they don't even care. Like Steve Kerr, it drives him nuts. And he even called out his team said, I don't think they care. And then he walked that back a little bit. But it doesn't matter where they're seated. They could be two, three, or even four. So they're going to waltz and coast through the regular season. And that's the biggest issue, I think, that Adam Silver has on his hand, on his hands. Not only does it diminish the postseason because you know the outcome – but the regular season is going to be a joke as well because games will not matter. And that's – like if I'm a sports fan, the reason I tune in, the reason I think we all watch sports is it's one of the things we know. It's why we watch movies. It's why we get entertained is we don't know the outcome. Absolutely. Right? There's a suspense aspect there. Yeah. Like, oh, who's going to win this game? And if that is taken out of the equation, I think it's a really bad thing for the NBA. No question about it. The NBA historically has always been like this, though, and it's a lot to do with the seven-game series. You know, if the NFL played a seven-game series, you'd have a lot of the same problems. The better team would kind of always win. But when you play one game, like the NCAA tournament, anything can happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's really what bas the biggest problem with the basketball playoffs. I'd like to see a change back to the five-game series in the first round. Uh, I'd like to see some implementing a bye in the first round. You know, rest in the NBA is everything. It's a grueling schedule. If you could make some sort of blueprint for where you're rewarded for your regular season performance, not just with a seed, because as you said, the better teams really don't care about their seed. Although in the Western Conference, the Warriors saw last year that, listen, they might not have got out of the, the conference <laughs> finals. It, you know, home court does matter to a degree when you get in the later stages, but fair point that, that you can be any seed and still win. Um, but the rest, if you could have an extra round to not have to play, I think that would be a big deal, and that's something I would look at if I was Adam Silver. So I've been racking my brain, and I maybe I'm just not simply not smart enough. But Adam <laughs> Silver, like I, when I, well, I was trying to think of solutions to this, like how do you prevent this from happening? 
And I honestly don't know if there is one. When you've, cause credit to Bob Myers and the Warriors for managing the cap right, for getting guys to come, for drafting players, um, you know, extremely well, having an eye for talent, getting a guy like Cousins to come in on this, you know, five million dollar a year deal. Like, is there a solution or is there something that Adam Silver should do or can do to prevent this type of problem? Well, listen, it's, there's unintended consequences, like with everything in life. Everything yeah. starts out with we're doing this for the right reason. You put the salary cap in so that, um, big market teams with all the money can't just buy everyone. But then what it ends up doing is it restricts the teams that are maybe one player away and have no viable avenue to get up to that elite level of competition, like the Wizards or the Raptors or the Jazz or the Blazers or even the Rockets, any of these teams that with one more star and would gladly pay for that star. Everybody with revenue sharing, everybody has enough money to do it, but the cap constricts them from doing it. And so with this weird loophole in the system in 2016 when they got that huge influx of cap money, it just so happens to work out that it's the year that Durant's available, the Warriors get him, they had Steph Curry on a you know, a poor man's contract for four years. So that worked to their benefit. It's like all the stars aligned. I don't know what you could do. I I think removing the salary cap would potentially, but you know, that would bring its own problems. Right. But if you just allowed teams to say, look, if, if you want to compete, if you're willing to spend, uh, and then you sort of put a cap on the number of max deals that a team could have, at a certain point, guys are going to want their money and they would be willing to go to the Timberwolves or the Blazers or the Nuggets or one of these, you know, these teams that don't historically attract the big names. Uh, at a certain point, if you're getting paid 15, 20 million more on another team, uh, it would be viable. There would be unintended consequences of that too, but I think that'd be really be the only route is just to remove it all and say, if you want someone, if you want to compete, go get them. Any concern? Do you have any concern that Boogie because he's a player who's been mercurial, right? Like yeah. he's a little up and down, emotional. It's, it's, an, under, it's an understatement. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. there any concern? Because I don't, I don't think that, like, I don't think there's any way another team beats the Warriors with the talent they have on the court. I think the only way the Warriors could potentially lose this season if they yeah. lose, if they beat themselves. And then, well, I mean, like, there's dissension, yeah. there's egos, yeah. and I. I don't know. Who was it? Uh, David West, who kind of said after the season said, yeah. if you guys only knew what was going on behind the scenes, right. like, and how much we had to overcome, like, that was a little bit of a hint. I felt like maybe there are some egos getting in the way. Any concern that Boogie in that mix could potentially pull? I just think they're so talented. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah. they have some dissension. I personally don't think so. I talked to a lot of the people around that team at the athletic and, you know, people that see them every day and talk to the coaches. And even Steve Kerr said, I think that was a little bit of an overstatement. You know, I interviewed David West after, after the finals and he was drinking a Bud Light Lime. So like, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, listen, you've been in plenty of locker rooms in your life. Like, yeah, we, we say like, oh, there's dissension. There's arguments. There's, e of course there's egos. Like, you know, I mean, they're, they're professional players. And in the Warriors case, they're, they have two of the probably already 25 best players to ever play. I think they've managed it brilliantly. We, you know, in terms of real dissension, we haven't seen any with them. They've become really like the Spurs where everybody that comes to them somehow just, Comes into the system. You know, JaVale McGee, nobody, nobody would touch him with a 10-foot pole. You know, like, this guy, he's going to blow the locker room up. He's crazy. He's not a smart player. And he comes into the Warriors, and there's times when he looks like an all-star because, the, you know, the supporting system, the talent around you, the culture that they've built. I, I don't think Cousins is going to be a problem uh, in that regard. And look, from a basketball standpoint, if there was a way to beat the Warriors, you beat them on the offensive glass, you beat them with size when they – when they go to the small lineup of Draymond Green at the center, there are, at least in theory, there's, there is a little bit of a hole to be. And now it's like, even, listen, think, think about trying to keep your eye on the two best shooters, unquestionably, of all time. Yep. And then if you can somehow keep track of them, you try to keep track of maybe the greatest scorer of all time in Kevin Durant. And then if somehow you find a way to shut down all three of those guys on the same night at the same time, and Boogie is what he is, He's crashing the offensive glass and getting all their misses and averaging 25 and 15 himself. Right. And then if somehow all four of those guys have a bad night on the same night, you're also led by Draymond Green, one of the 10 best defensive players ever, I think, and the best defense in the league. Right. So, like, what are you going to do? It, the, the, the competitive advantage here is I don't think anything like we've ever seen. I think about that Tom Brady team. In whatever year it was that Randy Ty Moss, Tyree they went, ran the table, yeah, yeah, and and listen, the Warriors are sort of now Moss didn't have an injury, but he was sort of like fading away before he went there. He was with the Raiders, right? And it was like, is Moss still Moss, right? But the Patriots, like, and he's had some locker room things, yeah. all these sort of same questions, but huge talent. And the Patriots are the Patriots, 
And what do you know? He comes into New England. He fits into the culture. Tom Brady's the leader, and he's the greatest receiver ever again, and they're unstoppable. I, I kind of see that. I don't think Boogie's going to have a Randy Moss season. Right. But I do think the Warriors are the Patriots, and I do think, relatively speaking, he's coming into almost a fail-proof uh, situation from a chemistry standpoint. That's a really good cop, the Randy Moss cop. And I think the difference is what we talked about right off the top is that in football, as we saw with that Patriots-Giants Super Bowl, it's a one-game situation yeah. where the Giants got hot. They pressured Tom Brady. They were able, you know, Eli makes a great throw, and they come back, and they are able to beat them. But in a seven-game series, if that was a seven-game series, the Patriots oh. would beat the Giants. Or one. Yeah, or exactly. One. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think the, the Warriors really are the comp to that team. You know, that was, I think, the best football team ever, at least the best football team I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and the Warriors team that won 73 games without Kevin Durant, I think, at least was the best season ever, and they didn't finish it in the finals. Right. Uh, so, you know, those te- the, the Patriots, the Spurs— the Warriors, this is going to go on for a long time with them because of the way they're run. So when I looked down at the phone to see Cousins sign up, the, my initial thought was, hey, it's the Lakers. Like, and I, I, that's why I had to do the double check and say, wait a second, it's the Warriors. Uh, you know, the reports are there was an offer on the table or they were, they did have an offer or they didn't have an offer. Who was the, the Lakers? Latest? Yeah, for Cousins. They, Cause yeah, the, I've heard multiple things. There was, uh, Marcus Spears for ESPN was there, so he didn't receive any other calls yeah. from any other teams. I don't believe that. Boston had a deal, but there wasn't formulated in time. I've, I've, that's why I'm surprised Boogie didn't wait just a little bit. Yeah. But when you look specifically at teams trying to mount, you know, another super team, obviously with LeBron going to the Lakers, the thought process is that he was going to try to do that. But no Kawhi yet. Boogie goes to the Warriors. There was rumor maybe he goes there. This roster for the Lakers is that a is head scratcher for me. That, oh, God. Like, I, I don't know what they're trying to do. Like, the Lance Stevenson one, I kind of like that. The fact that LeBron brings in his nemesis and he brings an edge on the defensive side of the ball. Rondo signing makes zero sense to me with him and Lonzo. Uh, I don't think it makes sense to have those two guys, similar type skill sets, on the same roster. Uh, to me, it tells me that Lonzo's going to move on. But when you look at the Lakers roster, do you see a plan in place in the near term, or is this going to be a two-year plan, no, three-year plan? Listen, this, the Lakers are like when I go to the grocery store and I'm hungry. You know, like yes. they threw the filet mignon in. They got that. But then they just started throwing in like random things. that They don't even know what they're going to cook with it. It's, just, it's, it's a mess. These are disgusting moves. Rondo, you're right, makes absolutely no sense. Like LeBron, has, you have to surround him with shooters, put him in space, let him go to work. What are you going to do, run Rondo off screens? Right. Like, I mean, no. Listen, and Lance, talk about dudes with like that are, you know, could be a hassle in the locker room. Like, yeah. how's the chemistry going to work well, on this team? It's very interesting because LeBron at the finals, there was a, a very fascinating press conference after game three at the finals where all the players, not just LeBron, but LeBron went into it the deepest about the importance of basketball IQ, what constitutes basketball IQ, and the level of importance that the elite players that are trying to build elite teams put on it. And he referenced a specific instance when he was going against the old Super Team Celtics and how Rondo was calling out the Cavs' sets before they even came down. And he he was impressed of how prepared he was, just sort of how ahead that Celtics team was of his Cavs team in terms of an IQ standpoint. And then so they go get Rondo, right? But they also got JaVale McGee and Lance. So if IQ is the – is, you know, the, the barometer for how we're building this team. They went and got some questionable guys in that regard. Listen, Lance Stevenson, like, he should be versatile defensively because of his size and his right. athleticism, but he's, he's not a good defender at all. Um, and Contavious Caldwell Pope, you, you gotta look at the money that, that they gave. Basically, they said, as long as these are one year contracts so that we can keep our books clean next year, mm-hmm. unless we don't, in case we don't get Kawhi in a trade. They pretty much just said, well, we'll take anyone. They gave, Contavious Caldwell Pope got the same money as JJ Reddick. These guys aren't even close to the same player. And Reddick only got a one year deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they gave more money. They, and Lance Stevenson got almost as much money as Boogie got from right. the Warriors. And listen, I get the, the injury concerns. But if you're the Lakers, like, you're not winning with this team. No. You're, this is a seven seed. So take a shot. It, it, you only have to give them a one year deal. If he's not, he's a bigger risk reward than what you know what you have with this team, and it's a seven seed with LeBron playing seventy five plus games again. So I think there is zero chance that this is the roster you see they take to the game one to start the season. I reading the team. So you think they're making a trade? I think they're going to get Kawhi, and I think it happens this year. And I know San Antonio said we're not going to let him go there. The one reason I believe that is I think the smartest people in the room every single time. Are the Vegas, the odds makers. Do you realize <laughs> what the Cavs 
odds are to win the NBA championship, or excuse me, the Lakers are yeah, next know. season. I, it's like, so a seven to two There's last time I saw Six to one. Six to one odds, which is insane no, to me. It's cl- there is no way that team is a six to one odds. That but, to me says that, that Vegas knows that something is going down. Or at least they know that the public thinks something's going down and they'll, yes. and they'll bet accordingly. Right. And they were right about them landing LeBron because they were the heavy favorite. It wasn't even close. You couldn't get very good odds on that. So that to me tells them, that they're going to they're going to make that move, and I hope it does because again the the healthiness of the NBA, the yes. health of the NBA, it needs to happen. There's to no question. Now it's a better uh, option. So I also I think they have a problem with the playoff format because if you thought the finals were bad this year with the Cavs getting swept by a dominant team, I think it's only going to get worse. The Eastern Conference, who is the who is the team that's going to rise? Is it Boston when they get back Hayward and they get back Kyrie back to healthy, or is it the Sixers? Uh, you know, with this young core who've started to show some signs of potential, or is it somebody else? I think it's really a two-team race in the East. It's clearly Boston. I mean, they vault all the way to the top, and I do think they're actually a viable championship contender. Um, like legitimately, yes. seven-game series yes. versus the Warriors, you give yes. them a chance. No question. That that's a loaded team. Uh, Jason Tatum is might already be a legitimate borderline superstar. Jalen Brown is is an all-star. Uh, they did all this missing Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. I think they're the best coach team, probably along with the Warriors. I, for all, yeah, I definitely think they're a viable championship contender. But the problem is they don't have to take the same route to the championship. You know, there's a lot to be said for being able to cruise for three. LeBron yeah. did this. I know, I'm not trying to take anything away from LeBron, but falling back on, he's been to eight straight finals. Head out west, my friend, because maybe he would have been in three. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, that is more a function of the conference that he's playing in than his greatness or the greatness of his teams. And that's a big, big problem. They need to blend the conferences come playoff time. I know there are issues. Don't let perfection get in the way of progress, and they need to make progress with this. People talk about this being a cyclical argument. Like, oh, it'll turn around. One of these years, the East will be – listen, first of all, if it's cyclical, it's been a hell of a cycle. We're looking at like two decades. Right. If you take LeBron out of the East – in those Heat teams and the Cavs, he was kind of the crutch that was propping up the whole conference. Absolutely. This has been a problem for two decades. Yep. Okay? And and beyond that, even if it does swing to the East, then you just have the same problem, but the reverse. The, the point is the pendulum sort of never rests right in the middle. Get these teams on an equal path to the finals. And to your earlier point about the regular season not mattering, well, it would matter if they blended the conferences and you knew you might have to play the Warriors in the second round if you took the regular season off. So you'd rather blend the conferences, do something with the conference alignment as opposed to refixing or reformatting the playoffs? I'm think- talking about formatting the playoffs. So one through 16 yeah. seeding. That's the, that's the, that, and Adam Silver has floated that idea. See, I think that was the NBA, I think does the better, the best, best job of any professional sports league of forward thinking. Like the NFL is reactionary when it comes to a lot of rule changes, uh, discipline. And when Adam Silver floated this idea a year ago, I think he was realizing, Hey, there's a really good chance LeBron goes out West and then you have a big problem on your hands. So I think that happens sooner rather well, the, the, than later. The, I think they actually do reform it. But the problem though is the Eastern owners because the best thing would be to let the best 16 teams in. Right. And that might end up being 11 Western. Which I'm okay with. Right. But the Eastern Conference right. owners would <laughs> never vote for that. Right. So you've got to like take small victories. And I think it is feasible that you still get eight teams in and you still have the problem with regular season schedule. You're not playing a balanced schedule. But don't give me this travel. First of all, I hear travel. Right. <laughs> We've already debunked the cyclical one. The travel thing is bogus. For starters, we're on chartered flights with like prime rib. And second of all, I've let Raja hear you say that. He always talks about how hard it is. Bring him in here. (laughs) Listen, it might be hard, but to that point, here's what I would tell Raja. I've done the math on this. If you have a seven game series, the most, in terms of miles traveled, the most extreme series you could have in across conference is Portland versus Miami. And if that series went seven games, you'd end up taking five cross country chips because of the two, two, one, one, one format. Right. All you would have to do is change the format back to 2-3-2. Right. And that cuts out one cross-country trip. Now there, now then, people are going to come and say, well, there's issues with that. Then that favors the team who gets three straight games at home. But again, don't Make let... That, but that makes the regular season matter more. Exactly. Right? So it's if you want to do this, there are pretty simple adjustments to make to do it. I think they should have done it a long time ago. Again, LeBron was propping it up. Uh, but the Eastern Conference playoffs are a joke. So just because a formidable team gets to the finals to represent the East doesn't mean the first three rounds where you're really making all your revenue is through three rounds. And you look at the East now, like the Bucks, 
they can reasonably go into their war room and say, fellas, we can make the finals. Like, we're not the favorite, but we got a shot. Like, the Wizards, <laughs> right. anybody. Right. The East is a joke. It's, it's like the Eastern Conference. It's, it's, it's it really bad. bad. It's really bad. So, for the last couple of years, we've seen some, you know, some crazy free agency moves. How is next season, the, t- the summer of 2019, how is it going to stack up versus 2017, 2018? It's gonna be really interesting, you know, Jimmy. Like crazier, right? Like yeah. it, the like speaking of fireworks, it's July Fourth. Like there will probably be bigger fireworks than we've. Well, seen. Well, just because LeBron is not part of it, I, you know, that's always right. the bigger one. But Kevin Durant is now doing the old LeBron, where he's hanging these one and one contracts over the Warriors, where every single year he's got a player option that he can leave. And I think ultimately Kevin Durant will leave the Warriors. I don't think he's fundamentally a part of that. People forget that that is a homegrown team. Yeah. It feels like a bot super team now, and I hate that because I'm from Northern California and I grew up a Warriors fan, and I, I really don't like them becoming the Yankees. Um, but I don't think Durant stays, and I think the prospect of where he goes next is going to become the new LeBron. And then you have Jimmy Butler, you have Clay Thompson, uh, you have Kimball Walker, you have Kyrie Irving, you have a lot of names on the market, and you're going to have more teams with money. This year got... You know, there wasn't much, there's only like six or seven teams with real cap space because of all the money everyone spent in 2016. There'll be more cap space available next year and even more the year after that. And so the, the, the summers are going to get very interesting. So I think we overanalyze body language all the time. But when you say that about Kevin Durant, not like to me, I don't see him really enjoying the, the, all of it. Like I, I don't know. There's something about it that just seems like he's not really a part of. He's not cut out to be a villain. Culture. He's not right? cut out to be a villain either. Like right. he's the guy that now everybody hates and he was always the guy that everybody loved and rooted for. Well, that's because he played in OKC. I know. Too, where they're kind of, they love I know. Their superstars. And they, right. They apologize if they trash you in headlines, no, right? And I think that was part of the reason Paul George goes back there because like Durant leaves and you've got like this built in opportunity to be the hero right and like you you don't leave you come back and you say you know plus you get like a whole bunch more money but i think that was really cool that paul george said i think that's yeah. good for the league and i don't think the thunder are a legit threat and that bothers me because like you i want somebody to challenge the warriors and i think a lakers team with paul george Kawhi, and lebron can definitely challenge if not beat the warriors and so from a fan standpoint i was rooting for that to happen but you know it's cool that guys are showing that as the super team movement threatens to take over the NBA, that guys still are willing to make individual decisions based on where they're happy playing and pursuing a championship over time. It used to be you organic growth was how you did it. You know, they lost last year in the first round, and everybody said, well, they can't win. But in, in the old days, you lost in the first round all the time. Then you lost in the second round. Then you lost in the third round. And five years down the road with the same team, you're, you've become good enough to win. And that's what Paul George is banking on with the Thunder, and, and that's kind of refreshing. Hey, thanks, Brad, for filling in Thank for us. How can me. people find you on Twitter? At Brad Botkin CBS. At Brad Botkin CBS. Thanks for filling in for us. Appreciate hey. it. Read and react. Let's get it over to Hannah for some read and react. Happy Fourth of July, Hannah. <laughs> Happy Fourth of July, Danny. All right, so I'm going to read a headline that's from our website, CBSSports.com, and I want you to react to it. I'll give you a little bit more, too. So, According to reports, the Suns, Devin Booker, are close to a five-year, $158 million max deal. Now, Booker is still 21 years old. Danny, what's your reaction to this one? Uh, there's no surprise here. I mean, I know there were some people that said, oh, he was unhappy that they cut his best friend, Tyler Eulis. But you know what makes up for a lot of that? $158 million. That's that you what I'm can go about. Hop on your private jet anytime, <laughs> or you can fly him in. You can hang out in the offseason. Like, that makes things go a lot smoother when you can do that. But this team is very young. I think this team is trying to do what the Sixers did with the process in the Western Conference. Still a lot of young talent. When you look at the youth of this team, still haven't had the success that they want to see. But be patient, and maybe it'll happen the same way. But it's going to be a much tougher road in that Western Conference. Well, speaking of young talent, in the MLB, Shohei Otani returns to the Angels as a designated hitter. On Tuesday, he is returning as a one-way player for now. Thank goodness. I want to see this guy back in the lineup. He took Major League Baseball by storm. There were comparisons to Babe Ruth as, you know, this two-way player who was tearing it up, lighting it up. Uh, there were old-school baseball guys who were saying, no way, you can't do it, you can't have success. Give this guy an opportunity, and I think they're going to use him as a hitter, hold off on a potential, you know, year-long injury when he takes care of his elbow issues that he's got, but let him go out there and hit and help this Angels team, which is still in that playoff race. Now, Danny, they said that it's unclear if he's going to be able to pitch again this season. What do you think? I think it makes sense because if they were going to have him do the Tommy John surgery, which is basically a year injury, why not 
like and then you like if you did it right now you'd lose him for this season and then a lot of the following season maybe an entire season so instead of missing a whole year and a half of baseball why not let him go out there and hit produce for you give you some production this season then in the off season you shut it down for one major league baseball season and you get him back in a year and a half so i think it's it's also it's obviously calculated they're thinking about it they're saying hey we want to do what's best for the player but because of the unique nature of his skill set you can use him as a hitter and not have to worry about his elbow at all. All right, another MLB story here. Could slump lead to Bryce Harper trade? And he's set to become a free agent, and he's widely presumed to leave. I really hope he leaves. Danny, what do you think about this one? <laughs> uh, he's going to leave eventually. I would be shocked if there's a trade before the season. I know you know the, the Nationals want, might want to try to get some value out of him because everybody and their brother knows he's going to leave Washington. But I think they're still in the thick of the playoff race. I still think they're a team that's been disappointed. Once they've gotten to the playoffs, they'd like to see this team taken to the next level. I think what's even more interesting is the fact that Bryce Harper was seen taking ground balls uh, in infield practice and during batting practice to try to showcase himself for the New York Yankees, which is where I think he's going to end up once that uh, free agency takes over. I'm sorry. I was snoring while you were talking. <laughs> hey, come on. Don't I'm, say that. I'm so over Bryce Harper. I actually take back what I said before. I said that I want him to leave. I don't want him to leave because there's, I don't want stuck? him to go to the Yankees. Like, <laughs> that, the Yankees are going to get him. They're going to they're gonna back up the truck, uh, and he's going to get paid, and all of a sudden he's going to be one of the biggest villains again. People like you who are haters are going to hate him even more. I'm such a Bryce Harper. He's so easy to hate. Like Anyone who's a hothead in baseball, I'm just like, meh. Hate you. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of humility behind Bryce Harper, that's for sure. Move the needle. All right, we're going to move on to move the needle, Danny. So I know that you love this segment, and we still need a graphic that moves the needle. Yes. So the first one, does this move the needle for you? Mexico manager calls out Neymar for his antics. Now, let me read the quote. So the Mexico manager said, we had control of the match, but to me it's just shameful that so much time could be lost over one player. The delay for one player lasted four minutes, and that is a lesson for even children who play. This should be a game of men and not so much clowning around. Thank goodness. Call them out because when I call players out for flopping on Twitter, I get absolutely obliterated by the soccer mafia that's out there. Stop being so sensitive about your sport. But Neymar is one of the biggest culprits for faking injuries, for having the flops where he rolls around in agony. If you look at my Twitter profile pic, it's actually Neymar writhing in the ground, which should be his <laughs> statue when he's done player, uh, done playing. Like, you've got to suck it up and good for the Mexican coach, uh, for calling him out because it needs to stop. It's better for the game. Like, that's why I'm, I don't think, I think even just casual sports fans in the U.S. watch it and you can see it taking place and it's a really bad look for soccer. Sometimes I like the drama, though, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> I'm just arguing with you. <laughs> All right, another one. Penalty kicks as a way to decide World Cup games. This is nothing new, but is it too gimmicky or a perfect end for you? Uh, it's. I love it, like the stress of it. Yesterday I was watching England versus Colombia. I think it's one of the most dramatic endings you can see in all of sports. But... I think it's the worst way to determine how a team advances in a stage of this magnitude to have players go out there and try to do something that essentially I could do, my wife could do. She played soccer at a pretty good high level. I, it's not the way you should determine it. It's way too much of a crapshoot. You should try to have some way where there's skill involved. And I get soccer is a physical demanding sport. You're running out there for 120 minutes consecutively. But do something else. And again, it's one of those areas where if you try to suggest change in soccer, they get so sensitive and so um, don't touch our sport. It could be better. And it's just it's not a fair way to end the game. And I get it. Sports aren't fair. But I think there's a better way to determine who the best team is. Moving on to golf now. So a pro golfer was accused of cheating. This is Sung King. He shot 64 in final round at Quicken Loans National, and his playing partner accused him of cheating. Did you see this one? I did not, and I actually love this story <laughs> because golf uh, golf needs a little controversy, right? Like it shakes mm -hmm. it up. Like That's when true. Phil when Phil Mickelson was at the U.S. Open and he hit the ball while it was moving, like it did generate a lot of buzz, and it's the gentleman's sport. It's supposed to be the sport of integrity where you call shots on your own, which is so shady to me because every athlete in every sport – is always trying to toe the line somehow. And in golf, you can get away with it sometimes. And I wish I could have been a fly on the wall when Joel Dahman was calling out Sung Kang and saying, you know, I would, I, like, I, I would fight somebody if I caught him cheating on a golf course. And I was playing for as much money as they are. 
I wonder what's going to happen. Like if the PGA Tour gets involved, goes back to reviews video, does anything because you don't want cheating involved in your sport, even mm-hmm. though it goes on. But other sports have things to prevent it. What do you do in this circumstance where it's basically a, a guy's word versus another guy's word? I think uh, there still could be some left to this story as we see the PGA look into it. And that was a pretty bold tweet that he sent out. He just said, yeah, Gang cheated. Like he was it. not messing around. Love it. Just yeah. go after him. Talk that smack. Yeah, you and him need to get together, have like a Twitter fest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, the Big Ten is asking for injury report system. So the Big Ten has asked the NCAA to consider developing a national football college injury reporting system. And this is a reaction to legalized sports gambling. Yeah, this is all about, Hannah, it's all about one thing and one thing only. It's about the big money that's going to be placed on college athletics. I don't think it's necessary. I think it's an overblown aspect. Even in the NFL, yes. But why Why if you're the NFL or the NCAA and you're worried about college football, why do you care? Like, why do you care about making it fair for gamblers? Like, it's mm-hmm. it's gambling for a reason. You're risking your money uh, in something that's very speculative anyway. Like, why give an advantage? I, college coaches are going to hate this because more, more so than NFL coaches, they love to hide injuries. They'll hate it, but I do think it's uh it's unnecessary, especially if the NCA who doesn't like the gambling aspect, it's one way they could give them the middle finger and say, you know mm-hmm. what, we're not gonna do it just to cater to your gamblers. I completely agree. But Danny, yeah. that's all I've got for you on Move the Needle. We have to go over two picks and props, which I have to say is rigged on my end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your your results are struggling for sure. All right, Debo, what do you got? Picks and props. So I wanted to make you bet on the summer league today. We didn't have that option. Okay. Because there are no games. So I'm going to make you bet on who's going to win the rookie of the year and some of the guys that are showcased in the Vegas and Sacramento and Utah summer leagues. Trey Young, a rough go of it uh, through his first couple games. Marvin Bagley struggled last night. But who do you have winning the 2018-2019 rookie of the year? My guy, Colin Sexton. I think he's the guy that has that mojo to come in and whether he stays in Cleveland or not, whether they tear apart that roster or whether, but I, I think he's going to have an opportunity to be on a decent team. He's going to get a lot of minutes. I don't think they will be, you know, a, a deep run in the playoff type teams. It's going to be really interesting to watch, but he's a scorer. He's a facilitator and he's got an attitude, sort of a mojo about him that I loved watching him play at Alabama, especially there were a couple moments in the postseason. I don't watch a ton of college basketball. But I watch him in the SEC tournament, watch him in the NCAA tournament. The guy has a flair for making plays and getting buckets. So I'm going to go with Colin Sexton. 10 to 1 odds for the Cleveland rookie. Um, So the Vegas Summer League starts in a couple days. The prop here, the high in Vegas today, which is 104, minus 18.5 versus total Warriors wins next season. That includes regular season and the playoffs. If you think they're going to win the title, you have to factor in 16 additional wins to whatever they win in the regular season. Do some math, Danny. I'm trying. I was trying to do that real quick. Hold on. So what does it come to? So what's 104 minus 18 and a half? Hold on. I need my, I need my calculator here. 104 minus 18 is 86 wins. So if they win 70, and they get 16. That's their playoff number, right? To win the championship. Yep. Right around there. I'm going to say under. I'm going to say under because this team has shown they don't care. They got the 73 wins. They got that, you know, uh, greatest regular season record, the win total out of the way. I think they're going to coast through the regular season again. I'm going to say just under. All right. This what are you is, taking? What are really... you taking? What do you think it would be? I think the Warriors are going to win 67 next year. Yeah. So you're with me right around there. Um, one of the greatest sporting events, athletic achievements, takes place today. The Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, annually held on July 4th. Joey Chestnut, one of the greatest athletes America's ever seen. The over-under for the winner today is 70 and a half hot dogs. That for the men's division. Where are we siding on that one? Over. So, yeah, 72 was the total one last year by Joey Chestnut. I'm going to say over as well. Like, I think you... You traditionally, you try to work out, you get your stomach in shape, you may eat a little <laughs> less coming into it, so you, you improve on your totals. So I'm going to go with over. I don't know what the conditions are like, though. Is it extremely hot? Because there has been a, like this heat wave coming over the New York area. Does that make it harder to, to, to eat and accomplish what you want to do? It could be. Fatigue could be a factor. I'm changing it. I'm going under. <laughs> I'm taking the under. I'm talking myself into the under. I think it's hot. Every yeah. July 4th. Not, the, this, the not prop as, as that I have 
Okay. This involves you guys, and I'm going to bring in Hannah. Over under six and a half hot dogs. Danny could eat in ten minutes. I'm going to do four and a half for Hannah. So I, I gave this a lot over. of thought. You're going over with you? I, so I can 100% wait. Four, four and a half hot dogs. Four and a half. So you got to eat five. Yeah, in ten minutes. Ten minutes is not a lot of like you got to you got to be hungry. Uh, no, one hundred and ten percent over. Okay, so this is <laughs> this is the bun and everything. You realize that, right? Like it's yeah. not just the hot dog. All right, That's I will fine. take the over too because if you can eat over four and a half, I'm taking over six and a half. Okay. Although I do think it would be harder than we think. Like Absolutely. if it was just the hot dog, you could pound like no problem. Mm-hmm. But the bun is the problem. That's why they dip it in water. But if I get to dip it in water, which oh they God. do, Mm-mm. then it's done. Yeah. Do, do we get to pick where we get our hot dogs from? Ooh, where would you go? What would you have a There's spot? There's a place called Dune Dogs in <laughs> Jupiter, and like every time I go there, I could probably beat this. <laughs> really? When I go there. Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. I have to it. say, Danny, do you know that I once won an eating contest? For what? It was what a did you Twinkie eat? eating contest. <laughs> how <laughs> many? Kidding. Do you remember how many you ate? Um, I don't know. It was one of those things we did on like a road trip and we were just bored and we had a box of Twinkies and we were like, let's do it. It wasn't officially sanctioned. I don't, I don't remember. I want to say, I think I ate like a whole box. I don't know. Wow. I was, I was a kid. I was like, uh, I was like 15. (laughs) And I think this four and a half thing is kind of like you saying that you could dunk if you had a little bit of alcohol in you. 110% I can dunk. Or or beat me in basketball. Yeah, both. Let's Let's make it happen, Debo. I'll eat the hot dogs and then I'll dunk on you. (laughs) We have resources. Let's make it happen. Let's put this on video. We have lots of challenges coming up. Danny Mm -hmm. and I want to get onto a a soccer pitch and try that goalie penalty kick challenge. I will take all your guys' money in that penalty kick challenge. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's keep it rolling here, Debo. Let's move on with some uh, some UFC talk. All right, let's bring in John Anik. He's a UFC commentator. He's actually going to be on the call this weekend in Las Vegas for UFC 226. You can follow him on Twitter at John underscore Anik uh, uh, on Twitter. You can also check him out on the Anik and Florian podcast. Uh, thanks for hopping on the podcast with us, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Danny. How are you? I'm fantastic. All right. So I am about it. I'm, I'm a casual UFC fan. Like I know some of the bigger names uh, that are out there. I love watching. I'll watch guys where I don't even know their names just because I'm like a lot of people who like to see a lot of blood and just like to see guys throw down a lot. But for, for a guy like me, give me a, a fight this week that maybe I don't know about that could surprise me. Well, as a lot of your listeners may know, we stack the deck for International Fight Week. The first weekend in July, every summer, we're in Las Vegas. There are a lot of different fan activities that happen during the week. And then we blow it out with back-to-back fight cards with the Ultimate Fighter finale on Friday night. And then, of course, one of our annual biggest pay-per-views of the year on the Saturday night. So we're loaded top to bottom on pay-per-view at UFC 226. It's almost like how much time do you have? But one fight that jumps off the card for me and part of the reason people aren't talking about it a lot is because it isn't a title fight, right? And the two fights that happened following the fight I'm about to mention are for UFC titles. But in the heavyweight division, Francis Ngannou, I'm sure a guy that many of your listeners have heard of, taken on Derek Lewis. So Francis Ngannou was all the rage. Of course, he challenged Stipe Miocic for the UFC heavyweight title back in January. He was 6-0 and at the time in the UFC with six finishes. And Stipe proved to be too much. He outlasted him over 25 minutes. So now Ngannou comes back. And I think he still is all the rage with fans in a lot of respects. I think a lot of people still fancy him a future UFC heavyweight champion. He's taken on a Houston, Texas native in Derek the Black Beast Lewis, who has more UFC experience, who I think can match Ngannou when it comes to the power. I think a lot of people feel like Ngannou's the better athlete in this equation. I feel like this fight is more competitive than, than the betting odds indicate. You got Ngana right now at about a three and a half or four to one favorite. But this heavyweight fight is probably going to produce a number one contender type fighter. So I think that's a fight that I have my eyes on. Then you got Michael Chiesa and Anthony Pettis at lightweight. This was a fight that was supposed to happen back in April. And because of that Conor McGregor Dolly situation, that fight went by the board. So those are two fights that aren't title fights that are on pay-per-view that I certainly have my eye on this weekend. All right, so you got the 26-year-old Max Holloway. He's won 12 straight fights since his loss to Conor McGregor back in August of 2013. That's fifth in UFC history for most consecutive wins, and he's facing Ortega for the featherweight uh, title. So these are two of the top young fighters in the game. What do you expect out of this fight? I think we might get the full 25 minutes here, Danny. I think it's a very competitive fight. I think the betting odds reflect that. What Max Holloway has been able to do at featherweight is absolutely incredible, and it's amazing to think 
that already we are talking about Max Holloway as arguably the greatest featherweight of all time. Now, some might say Conor McGregor, you know, he didn't fight long enough in that division to hold that claim. You know, Jose Aldo is the consensus greatest featherweight of all time. Max Holloway beat him twice, finished him twice. So what Max has done at the age of 26, as you mentioned, is absolutely incredible. What's interesting, I think, and what so compels people to this co-headliner this weekend is Brian T. City Ortega fighting out of the blue corner, undefeated Californian, Brazilian jiu-jitsu whiz, but a guy who doesn't get enough credit for his striking. And I think a lot of people were waiting for there to be a featherweight who could match Max Holloway, at least in terms of the range and the size for this division, because Max Holloway's future is up a division at lightweight, if not eventually moving to welterweight. This is a hard weight cut for Holloway. I only think he's going to make it one or two more times in defense of this title. So, he could have his hands full this weekend. You know, a lot of people see Brian Ortega as a live underdog. A lot of people see him having the advantage if the fight does hit the mat. I think this fight truly could go either way. If I was a gambling man, I would stay away from this fight. But as compelling a featherweight championship fight as we have had, really, since Conor McGregor challenged Jose Aldo back in 2015. All right, so let's get to the super fight where you've got Miocic versus Cormier. Uh, with Cormier, so he's so he hasn't fought at heavyweight division since 2013. Do you think that could be a factor for him in this one? Yeah, I mean, size usually matters in mixed martial arts, and I think the size could matter here. It's not as though Stipe Miocic is some massive heavyweight who cuts down to the 265-pound limit. So I think both of these guys are going to weigh in in the 240s. And when Daniel Cormier was plying his trade as a heavyweight, he was giving up size left and right, and left no worse for wear. He went 13-0 and as a mixed martial arts heavyweight. So I don't so much worry about the size. I think the big question for me is, is DC going to have a speed advantage? Because there's nothing plotting about Stipe Miocic. And in becoming the consensus greatest UFC heavyweight of all time, he's done it in a lot of different ways. He can outlast you over 25 minutes, as he did against Francis Ngannou. He certainly has the power in both hands to get you out of there very quickly. Uh, has, has a high kick as well that DC has been a little bit susceptible to in the past. Certainly the John Jones fight comes to mind. So there are a lot of variables in this fight. Not unlike the co-headliner, it's pretty close on paper, relatively speaking. We have seen some money come in on Steve Bay over the last two weeks, and I think a lot of that, to your point, does have to do with the size. But Daniel Cormier is one of the most elite inspirational professional athletes that I have ever been around. Granted, he is my broadcast partner on a lot of these pay-per-views, but he has made a career uh, of defying the odds, right? And there aren't a lot of people picking him this weekend. That's just the way he likes it. I think the first round and maybe the first 10 minutes of this fight are going to be really telling to see DC, to see his footwork, to see if he does have a speed advantage. Because I don't know how many paths to victory there are for Cormier if this fight hits the ground. Certainly he'll be the best wrestler that Stipe has ever faced, but I'm just not sure he's going to be able to control Miocic on the ground the way he has controlled light heavyweights in the past. So this is, you know, this is as big as it gets for us, Danny. I mean, I, I try not to speak in absolutes, you know, the promoter cuts my paycheck, but this is a super fight of the highest order. This is one of the five, seven biggest singular fights in UFC history. And, and I'm excited to see what Daniel Cormier can do with the opportunity as he tries to become a simultaneous two-division champion. So what, what makes him so special? Like your relationship with him, what do you see from him? Like, is it work ethic? Is it natural ability? What, what do you see in Cormier that, you, that makes you like him? So I can, hear you, I can hear your affinity for him, which is, I know you're not supposed yeah. to have him on the broadcast, but obviously you have a good relationship with him. What, what makes him so special? Well, I think a lot of it is his natural ability. And, you know, this is a guy who was the Olympic team captain for the United States in wrestling. He was only, only able to compete once in the Olympics, made the team in 04 and 08, but was only able to compete once because he had a, a liver or a kidney issue in 2008 and was unable to compete. But a lot of it's a natural ability for me. Like, you should see this guy hop on a basketball court and shoot a 15-footer, whereas if you gave John Jones a basketball, he wouldn't <laughs> know what to do with it, right? So I think that's a feather in the cap uh, of Daniel Cormier. Of course, in this matchup, he's fighting a guy in Steve Miocic who, who wrestled at Cleveland State, who played third base for the baseball team. So I think he's finally matching up with somebody that can – match that athleticism. But yeah, it's the work ethic for Daniel as well. You know, Danny, you're obviously a father of three young kids. DC has two kids under the age of seven. He is a, a, the high school wrestling coach at Gilroy High School in California. And he just has a lot of irons in the fire and a lot of different things going on in his life. At the commentating, which I mentioned, 
And the fact that he has been able to balance that and still put forth championship performances at 39 years old against 25, 28-year-old fighters has really been a sight to behold. You know, DC is going to be 40 in March. He doesn't want to fight past his 40th birthday. If he can wrest the heavyweight title away from Stipe Miocic this weekend, some may not see him as the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. I'll probably see him in that class if he's able to beat Stipe, but this would be one of the biggest wins in UFC history. And far be it for me to sit here on Monday of fight week and doubt DC's ability to get it done. He has proven me wrong several times in the past, and I think he's going to be very competitive with Stipe this weekend to the surprise of some. Nice. I'm going to, I'm going to be rooting for him for sure. Side note, you know, you said how, you know, he can shoot a basketball, put a basketball in his hand. I think the, the true test of athleticism, you should be able to do two things if you want to be considered an athlete. You should be able to shoot a basketball, and at least I'm not talking Steph Curry. But you should be able to shoot a basketball, and you should be able to throw a ball like some, and look normal. Like if you go out and do a first pitch at a game and you can't throw a ball to home plate, you are not a real athlete. That's just a side note of things I notice when I'm watching sports. All right, how about some other some some other big news? Our guy right here from CBS Sports HQ, Rashad Evans. So he announced his retirement, and we know you've done some work with him since back in your ESPN days. Can you give us like your favorite moment from his career? Well, I think for a lot of people, it would have to be the knockout of Chuck Liddell at UFC 88, and that's what set up the championship opportunity for Rashad Evans against Forrest Griffin later that year, and of course, he made good on that. He wasn't able to defend the light heavyweight title, and I think when it comes to his legendary status and his Hall of Fame credentials, that's going to be the primary knock on Rashad Evans, that he did win that light heavyweight title. Of course, he won the Ultimate Fighter at heavyweight back in 2005. But he wasn't able to defend the belt. And then, of course, his UFC tenure did not end the way he wanted it to with five consecutive losses. Now, the last time I spoke to him was before his last fight against Anthony Smith. And I said, hey, man, the narrative could be a lot different, right? He lost split decisions to, to Daniel Kelly and Smiling Sam Alvey recently. And had those fights gone his way, you know, then maybe the narrative is a little bit different for Rashad Evans. But you can't take anything away from this guy and what he's accomplished. And really at a time when mixed martial arts was growing domestically here in the U.S. He was one of the first guys who was on TV, as you mentioned, for us back at ESPN. I think it's hard to quantify all of his contributions to MMA when you strictly boil it down to what he did inside the octagon. I mean, certainly he won a UFC title in the UFC's glamour division, 205 pounds, had big wins over who's who of UFC legends, Chuck Liddell foremost among them. But I would just say to, to Rashad, you know, and to anyone who wants to look at his body of work, try not to look at the last couple of years, right? Because what this guy accomplished in an era where light heavyweight was really as good as it's ever been is absolutely incredible. At the big win against Rampage Jackson, you know, he went the distance in the grudge match with John Jones. This guy fought everybody. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, Danny. I can't sit here and say he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I got to think based upon what he did in the era he did it in that he'll at least get some consideration. And now it's on to TV, you know, fighting's lost, <laughs> broadcasting's game. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. We love having him here at CBS Sports HQ. All right, let's move it on to Conor McGregor because his coach, Don Cavanaugh, came out and said, I'd bet almost anything. That's his quote. I'd bet almost anything. McGregor versus Khabib happens in 2018, but he also said if it was up to him, he would have Conor fight his third match with Nate Diaz, which is kind of where I believe. Like, those two fights between him and Diaz were incredible. You saw both guys give it all. You know, talk about bloody faces, like just beating down, laying it all out there. Uh, which one do you think would happen first? Well, I think it'll be Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov for the Undisputed Lightweight Championship. And even though I see the merit of doing the trilogy fight, I always thought when they ran it back a third time, the only way to sort of up the ante would be if there were championship stakes on that fight. And there, of course, was a time not all that long ago that Conor McGregor was the undisputed lightweight champion. And had he been able to defend the belt against Nate Diaz, you know, their first two meetings were non-title fights. So I thought if the third meeting could be for a UFC championship, that's as big a singular fight as we can make. But Connor is no longer the champion, despite not losing his belt inside the octagon, right? He had the Floyd Mayweather match in boxing, and he's been largely inactive in MMA, hasn't competed since November of 2016. So what is driving Connor right now other than money? Is it to come back to the UFC and realize a massive payday, or is it to challenge Khabib Nurmagomedov for the UFC lightweight title? I have always been someone who believed that Conor McGregor at his core really cares about his mixed martial arts legacy. And if I am right in that opinion, 
then I think even though John Cavanaugh would like to see them strike while the iron's hot and do the trilogy fight with Nate Diaz, I think Conor McGregor would like to prove himself against a style that on paper is very difficult for him. And Khabib Nurmagomedov with his takedown prowess and everything else, he's undefeated 25-0. and 0, So I think that's a huge fight as well, maybe not as big a pay-per-view as McGregor Diaz 3, but I think the promotion, Dana White specifically, are going to do everything in their power to make sure that when Conor McGregor does return, he does so in a championship fight, you know, against the lightweight champion at present, and that's Khabib. All right, let's finish it up with some rapid-fire questions I'm going to throw at you. All right, so speaking of Conor McGregor, the over-under is set at six months before we see him step back into the octagon. What are you taking? You know, I'll say over because I think they might – well, you know what, I'll say under. I'll say they'll do Madison Square Garden the first week of November. Part, part of the reason why I said over, I thought maybe they'd do the year-end in December, which is annually a big show for us. But I'll say it'll be Khabib and Conor at Madison Square Garden in November, so I'll say under. Nice. I hope so, because I think he's great for the sport. All right. George St. Pierre's trainer uh, said he used to offer $5,000 to whichever fighter could knock him out in training. So over or under 15 k he had to dish out at the TriStar gym? I would say you hit the number perfectly. You set that total perfectly. But I will say, I'll say under. I think he got knocked out twice, and, and Zahabi had to pay out 10 k all right, perfect. All right, how about some UFC 226 rapid fire? So over under one round of fight time in the Lewis versus Nagano fight. Oh, that's a good question. You know, I think both guys have had their cardio abandon them at times in the UFC, and I think in particular when it comes to Francis Ngannou, he would be wise not to blow his entire load, so to speak, early on. So I am going to say, even though it's probably against my better judgment, that Ngana Lewis will end in round two, but we will see a second round. I'll say over five minutes. All right. Perfect. These are our props, too. Our producer, Debo, just, there's our official Vegas prop. These are our uh, okay. Canel and Bell props. So we'll just make that <laughs> clear to our listeners. So they're not All right. How about this one? Over under two and a half fights left at the featherweight weight for Max Holloway. That's a great question. I will say under. I think he has this fight. I think if he loses this fight, maybe he rematches Brian Ortega. I don't know if he has a rematch clause in his contract, but I think if he loses this fight, there's a great chance he moves up. I think if he defends the belt here against Brian Ortega, I think he might relinquish it and try to move up and challenge for the lightweight title. I think this is a tremendously difficult weight cut for Max Holloway. And even though he's only 26 years old, not a cut that he's going to make more than twice more. All right, last one. Over, under, two years before Hunter is in Brazilian jiu-jitsu classes. Uh, classes oh, my God. <laughs> now that's oh, my goodness. Son. So you was just born seven days ago, right? Yes, I appreciate that. I have a seven-day-old son, and we have seven daughters. Well, I should say my, my mom had seven granddaughters, so we're thankfully to finally – Thankfully, there's finally a penis in there, but I'm going to try to keep him away from the Brazilian jiu-jitsu master now. I mean, you know, I, I took some Brazilian jiu-jitsu recently, and I, I really didn't enjoy it. I think maybe it helped me with my craft a little bit as a play-by-play announcer in MMA, but, you know, he's going to be a stick-and-ball guy. With all due respect to my mixed martial arts president, we're going to give him a basketball, we might even give him a football canal, and uh, I don't think he's going to be donning a gi anytime soon. What, so hold on a second. How many girls do you have? So I, you know, I have two, my twin brother has two, my sister has two, and my brother-in-law has one. So we had seven girls. In the family. And finally got Hunter about a week ago, yeah. So Awesome. Well, congrats to you on that. That's fantastic. I'm gonna go, my, so I have three girls. I'm trying to talk my wife into number four. So I'm going to tell her, you know, there's always hope right there. <laughs> always hope. And we didn't find out. So needless to say, it was pretty surprising uh, to see a boy pop out, but. You know, man, there's nothing like that father-daughter thing, so. That's right. No doubt about it. Hey, John, I really appreciate the time uh, for you hopping on with us on the podcast. Have a great call for UFC 226 this weekend. And uh, make sure you check him out at Anik and Florian Podcast. Thanks again, John. Appreciate it. My pleasure, man. Have a good week. Topics. Debo, let's finish it up like we always do with some topics, man. What do you got for us? Danny, LeBron James signs with the Lakers on July 1st, and Kobe Bryant moved from 6th best Laker of all time to 7th. 
So here's what Kobe told ESPN about LeBron joining the Lakers, at least what he said externally. I spoke to him during the playoffs, and then I talked to him last night right after the decision. I told him, welcome to the family, man. Sounds crazy, but I said, dude, you are a part of the family now. So anything you need on my end, I got you. Whatever the case may be, I am here for you. How's he feeling on the inside? So I think Kobe, I think he's very, very sensitive, and I think it bothers him that there's the MJ versus LeBron debate, and he's never included in it. And this is only going to make it worse when, as you mentioned, people start talking about the greatest Lakers of all time, and it bumps him down a notch. But Kobe is also very smart and very calculated in everything he says publicly. That's why you have statements like this. That's why he sent out the tweet, Mm -hmm. because he knows it wouldn't play well if you put it out there publicly, that he's like, oh, man, this kind of sucks. Yes, Danny, you were saying exactly what I was saying. I called BS on that whole statement. Like, there's no way. Right, but he has to. He has to (laughs) put that out there because everybody's going to want to know, what is Kobe going to say? Sure. Absolutely. So we know that Eagles head coach Doug Peterson has massive – Stones, Philly, Philly, remember it? I do. And that kind of translates to the golf course because at the NFL meetings, he headed to the golf course with Saints head coach Sean Payton, and they just had to make a wager on it. The wager that Doug Peterson won. The Eagles are playing the Saints on the road, but now they get to wear their home jerseys, their home greens, while the Saints have to wear their away whites while playing at the Superdome. Adds a little bit of intrigue, doesn't it? I love that. I did not know that story. Like, I thought you were going to go with some monumental number <laughs> that they were putting on the match, like 10 grand. And it was like, whoa, they're gambling. That's a big deal. Like, players get into what colors they're going to wear. Uh, the NFL could get involved. I absolutely love that they put something. And I'm sure fans are like, why does it matter what color they wear? But that one is a, that's a good bet. I like that. So, Danny, when you're not tweeting about soccer this summer, you're still tweeting a little bit about the SEC and college football. And yesterday, a tweet that you sent out generated a lot of interest regarding Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley in an interview you did with him yesterday. Break that down for us. So I got to talk to Lincoln Riley yesterday, as you mentioned. And we were talking about all things Kyler Murray's quarterback. We talked about it on here, whether he's going to play baseball and football. How's that going to work out? Uh, and essentially what I cannot stand is when you see a game in the Big 12 that unfolds and it's 53 to 49 or, you know, or 61 to 54 and you start hearing the chirping coming from the SEC fans saying, well, that's not football. That's the, nobody plays any defense out there. And that's basically the perception of the Big 12 is that no one plays defense. Well, I've said for a long time, you know what? It's hard to play defense when you're playing offenses that spread it around and throw it all over the yard every single down. It's challenging, so you have to change the way you determine what is, quote, good defense. So I asked Lincoln Riley of that exact question. That's the way I set it up. How hard is it to play, quote, good defense in the Big 12? And he basically came out, and he was giving an answer, and he was not bashing Georgia he was not, um, you know, being a sore loser because they lost in the Rose Bowl. But essentially, he made the comment that if you put a top five defense, as Georgia was last season in college football, if you put them into the Big 12 and had them play against those offenses week in and week out, they wouldn't be a top five defense statistically. It was a very obvious, very uh, reasonable statement that he made. He wasn't trashing uh, trashing Georgia. He wasn't throwing them under the bus. It was a... Very smart comment that I think is stating the obvious. But as we know, when you're sitting there on July 3rd and you say make something comment like that, it's going to create a stir among SEC fans, and they were not happy about it. So much so that Lincoln Riley actually kind of put out a tweet that responded to it saying I wasn't trashing them. He was not. But it just made me get it going for like now Now I'm even more excited for college football to get here. Now that you got just a little bit of uh, not trash talk because it wasn't trash talk. But you got that kind of the chatter started among the fans. The message boards were starting to light up. So I love it for that reason. I can tell that you're uh, (laughs) you're ready for football season. I am. So it's the 4th of July. We talked about the hot dog eating contest. We'll we'll do that at some point in the future, if not today. Um, I don't like 4th of July. There's two things I get anxiety for. First dates and fireworks. I have, like, anxiety (laughs) attacks. So I'm going to be keeping it cool today. Yeah. Um, what's your plans today, guys? Hannah, what are you doing? Uh, I'm headed back to my hometown, Jupiter. I'm going to go out with some friends. We're going to go to the beach bars. That's really it. I like the fireworks. I like seeing them. 
It's one day a year. Yeah, exactly. I love July 4th, but I hate when it falls on a Wednesday. Like, it's the worst to have July 4th in the middle of the week. Like, people are going to have to go to work tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So you've got to kind of put a governor on things, like watch what you're doing, or you're going to be, you know, just miserable when you get get out of bed tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. I will say, like, Debo, you're like my five-year-old because she freaks (laughs) out when she hears the fireworks. Like, what is that? But once you show her the fireworks and you actually get outside, then they're okay. So I'm a little bit worried about you, man. We got to get you. In- I'm all the way out on fireworks. What's the point? <laughs> we need to take you on a first date, like a really awkward first date situation where you have to blow up some fireworks so we can just like. Can I tell you, I went to a Marlins game recently on a date and afterwards they had fireworks. And I said, oh, it was hey, a Friday. we got to leave before the fireworks go up. The Uber <laughs> was late. It got lost. So we had to sit there with the fireworks and I just acted like Danny's five-year-old. Um, you started no sweating, passed out, maybe. I don't know. Just did guessing. not pass out. <laughs> okay. Was was there a second date? What do you think? The answer is always no. Oh. <laughs> well, it's because you have the worst luck, especially if you show her your fear of fireworks in the first date. She's gonna think you're some weirdo. We gotta get you some therapy, man. We'll get you yes. some help. That'll be uh, something <laughs> that to look into. Yeah, way. exactly. All right, that's a wrap for us here on our July 4th edition. Thanks for Brad Bakken for joining us. That was a fun conversation breaking down the NBA free agency. We'll be back on Friday with a brand-new, fresh episode. As always, check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell.